0: The first reading is taken from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Now there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, With a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You pick up a book, maybe when you're on holiday, somewhere they have a little stack of reading for visitors, and you start to read this book, but you never reach the end. Maybe the weather's too good, or the book's too long. Either way, the time comes to leave and you don't know what happens. You try to cheat by reading the last page, but it doesn't fill in all the gaps. But you have to go and you know you'll never find out what happened to that character you were so concerned about. That's how I feel about this passage. Every time I read it, I find myself saying, but what happened to the Greeks? So let's look at it again and see if we can work out why they even get a mention. The Greeks in Jesus' day loved to travel for travel's sake. They loved visiting different places and finding out about different philosophies and religions. They were the first cultural tourists, if you like, and so it's not surprising to hear that some Greek visitors have come to Jerusalem. sounds like they may have been to the temple because they're described as worshippers they would only have been allowed into the court of the Gentiles, which is the court that Jesus cleared of the tradesmen and the money changers, and so it's possible, we can't know this, but it's possible that they were there when it happened, and wondered to themselves, who is this man? Whatever the reason, They corner Philip, maybe simply because he has a Greek name, and so they think he'll be more sympathetic to them, and say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And that is the last we hear of them. How frustrating is that? John is such a great writer. I can't believe he leaves us hanging like that, wondering about what happens to them. I've been trying to imagine how he came to write this bit of his gospel, imagining myself sitting at the feet of the ninety-year-old father of the church, asking about those days so long ago when he was a young man. Father John, I imagine myself asking, how come the people in Jerusalem turned on Jesus so quickly? Within a few days of welcoming him with joy, they're clamouring for his death. And I imagine him replying, Well, my child, it happened like this. There were some Greeks who came to see Jesus just after he entered Jerusalem. It triggered something in him, and he started to speak about his death much more openly than before to all the people, whereas before it had just been to us, his disciples. And it seemed to shake him too, the horror of what was to come. He was almost overcome with it, but he set his face like flint to the task, and prayed to Father God, this is the reason I came, glorify your name then there was a noise, it sounded almost like a voice, but also like a clap of thunder. And there were words in the sound, God glorifying his name. From then on, everything was about his death. And John carries on with the story. But the people, well they thought he was going to be the conquering messiah, to throw out the Romans and be glorified as God's King in Jerusalem, to make Judah a world power. The sense of anticipation and excitement was palpable. What Jesus said, well, it turned all their dreams to dust. He'd come to die, he said, and his followers would need to lay down their lives too. People had this tremendous sense of disappointment. Of betrayal even. You may have noticed I slightly went into the next part of the chapter in my imagining there. So it seems like the Greeks have played their part in John's story so he just moves on. But what is it about the Greeks arriving that triggers this response in Jesus? I think perhaps their arrival completely unawares, tells Jesus without a shadow of a doubt that his time has come. This is the time Isaiah spoke about. You'll summon nations you've never heard of, and nations who've never heard of you will come running to you. This is the time we heard about in the passage in Jeremiah earlier, I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. I will put their law within them, write it on their hearts and be their God. The people of the world are coming to Jerusalem, to Jesus. The cloud of witnesses is assembling. The old covenant has been swept away. The time of the new covenant is here. The realisation that that awful moment, the turning point of history, has arrived is overwhelming. Jesus is full of dread, despite his determination to continue to the cross. And so God speaks. Three times during his life on earth, the Father speaks over Jesus so that others can hear. At his baptism, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and today, after the coming of the Greeks, critical moments to affirm to Jesus before witnesses that he is his Father's Son. And today, Jesus is able to go on and declares with confidence that his death will draw all people to him. This dreadful moment for Jesus will become the best possible moment for the world. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, the plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Jesus crucified will be God-glorified. The grain of wheat will fall into the ground to spring up again and bear much fruit. And this mini-parable is not just about Jesus. He makes it clear it's also about his followers. So what does it mean we have to lose our life in order to keep it? People sometimes say that they believe Jesus was a good man, even possibly the Son of God, but they don't want to give up their life to him. Becoming a Christian costs too much. But I know someone who gave their life to Jesus recently, who told me they felt nothing but relief. They tell me nothing they gave up is worth anything near as much as what they have gained. It's hard, they say, to put their finger on it. But life is different. And different is better. And that's my testimony too. Living for Jesus is so much better than living without him. We give up fear of what others say being adrift and alone, solely responsible for our own destiny, trying to reach impossible targets set by others, worse, by ourselves. We find ourselves instead with a God who died to save us who came to show us God is love, whose yoke is light, and yet in whom we can serve our whole lives and never run out of opportunities. And there's more. Jesus trod the hardest path before us and knows what it's like. We do not walk this way alone. Where he is, we will be. We are not all going to hear God's voice in claps of thunder, but he will speak at unexpected times and sometimes through unexpected people, even Greeks. Which brings me back to these unaware tourists whose footsteps fulfilled prophecies. What happened to them? Well. Philip isn't sure Greeks are the sort of people he should introduce to Jesus, so he goes to Andrew. Andrew's the come-alongside person. Andrew's used to taking people to Jesus. That's what he does. The first person he took was Simon Peter. But I'm still not sure. Does that mean the Greeks got to meet Jesus or not? I try to imagine having the conversation with Father John. What happened to the Greeks, you ask, he says. Well, what do you think happened? Aren't you a Greek yourself? And when did Jesus ever turn anyone truly seeking him away?
0: Heavenly Father, as we look forward to Easter, we give you thanks for the swift invention and use of vaccines to combat COVID-19, not just in Europe and America, but in China and Russia. We look forward with hopeful hearts to services in our churches this Easter and pray that you will comfort Italian Christians experiencing another lockdown. Lord, we do pray for the European countries experiencing a further surge in coronavirus cases. May we be prepared to share vaccine with poorer countries and may this disastrous virus soon be under control globally. Lord, we pray for your church worldwide, for our Christian leaders and for Christians facing persecution for the sake of the gospel. We pray for an end to the 10-year conflict in Syria, particularly that there will be a halt to the bombing of hospitals and schools which has claimed the lives of so many civilians. We pray for displaced people, that they might find a safe home. Closer to home, we pray for Bishop Peter and his wife Jane, as they prepare for early retirement for health reasons. We continue to pray for Bishop Peter's healing and restoration. Meanwhile, Lord, we ask for your wisdom for Bishop Ruth and the other clergy in our diocese, who continue to pastor us and to provide services in uncertain times. Please bless the ministry of Tim and Jenny in our own parish. Almighty God, we bring before you our friends and family who need healing in body, mind or spirit. In your mercy, have compassion on them and restore them. Lord, help us to be patient during the remaining time of lockdown restrictions. May we lean in to you, to praise you, to notice beauty and truth. Draw our attention to the things that we may need to put right. Fill us with thankfulness and joy, ready to be a blessing to the world. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for being the Good Shepherd. For living on earth as a man to set us the example for how to live, for being prepared to lay down your life for us so that we might have eternal life. May we listen when you are calling us and be obedient to your voice. Merciful Father, please hear and accept our prayers. Amen.